And, and so I, I think the, the reason we need to, one of the reasons we need to attend to our souls is because it's not a matter of will you feed on the sheep, it's a matter of how you will feed on the sheep. Welcome to the Stream Roots Podcast, where you'll learn how God's unchanging truth can be applied in our ever-changing world. Through conversations with pastors and ministry leaders, you'll be encouraged, equipped, and challenged in walk with Christ. Stream Roots is designed for pastors and leaders in the church, but is helpful for all people. And now your host, Pastor Mark Pospisil. Welcome back to our Stream Roots episode on the essential need of soul care. This is part two for soul care. And with us again is Dr. Scott Engelman from Awakened Heart Ministries. Just want to thank you for your first episode. It was so practical, so powerful, so uh, vulnerable. Really, really appreciate that. And it was so uh, helpful as well. We wanted to bring you back to talk more about soul care. And I think we can probably do 10 episodes on soul care, by the way. And uh, so I want to just jump into our discussion. So if, you were, if you're joining us for this episode and you missed last week's, go back and listen to that now. Uh, it will be probably the best 45 minutes you'll spend of the week uh, getting a grasp on soul care. And so, Scott, talking about this kind of ended with this idea of, of how to tend your garden almost, um, how to make sure that you, you're in a place of health and then you're not operating on a place of emptiness. Mm-hmm. Can you jump into this idea of what does this mean, uh, again, giving the proper place to backstage tending of my garden, that I'm a lamb first, I'm a sheep first, mm-hmm. I'm connected to the vine first, and then I'm bearing fruit. And, and so we see this idea where we, we are operating out of a place not of rest, but of restlessness, not a place of fullness, but a place of emptiness. Can you talk about that and why we get there and what do we do about it? Yeah, um, if we could just, uh, the whole idea of backstage, front stage, um, it was, uh, oh gosh, when was it? In the 40s or 50s, uh, Irving Goffman, Goffman, I think his name was, he was a sociologist who came up with this front stage, backstage um, behavior theory. I always thought it was you, so I just learned something. No, 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 no. (laughs) And... um, and uh, he, he said, what happens in the front stage always informs the backstage. And because ministry is two-dimensional, what I am in relationship to God for the sake or for the service of others, ministry is uh, a backstage, front stage. It's who I am in my backstage where no one can see uh, will always inform and reflect what I do on the front stage where everyone can see. And because of that, ministry, um, our, our soul needs to be attended to. Now, that's a choice God gives us. We can tend to our souls or we cannot tend to our souls. But because of who we are as lambs, we, we need to attend to our souls. And, and that just means cooperating with the grace of God so that in our spiritual journey, God can lead us beside still waters and, mm. and, and um, uh, you know, be yoked with him so that we're, we're not burdened alone in, in ministry. And so what I've learned is when I attend to my backstage, um, meaning, you know, I'm, I'm being yoked to Christ, I'm abiding in Christ, I'm being shepherded by Christ as a lamb, 
I, I, as a pastor out of the front stage, I lead from what I call a fullness expression pattern. There's something in me that is full, and out of that fullness, I lead. And as a result, if you love me, Peter, Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. There's something in me that I'm able to give to the sheep that comes not from me, but from Christ himself, from my backstage time with him. And, uh, and so that brings blessing uh, to the church. I've also found when I uh, don't attend to the backstage, uh, rather than um, operating out of a uh, fullness uh, expression pattern, I will operate out of an emptiness pursuit pattern in, in relating. And, and that's because as a lamb who isn't being attended to, I can't, I can't give myself. Only Jesus can give me as a lamb what I need. And so because I am empty, rather than feeding the sheep in this, this emptiness pursuit pattern, I, I do what Ezekiel 34 talks about. I feed on the sheep. Um, I may not use them in a, an abusive way, but I might use them to get attention that need to be seen. I might use them to feel safe or feel secure or feel soothed when something... I, I use people to fill those, those um, empty longings that um, are empty because I'm not tending to the backstage. And when I, when I operate out of that, uh, that emptiness pursuit pattern, rather than uh, living in the larger story of God, where I'm a, a support character in God's plot towards God's ending... I am acting as the main character in my story with my own plot, and everybody else are the supporting characters, including God himself. God now exists to give me a successful ministry so mm. I can feel good about myself, so I can feel adequate. Ouch. And, and so I, I think the, the reason we need to, one of the reasons we need to attend to our souls is because it's not a matter of will you feed on the sheep, it's a matter of how you will feed on the sheep. I'll say that again. It's not a matter of how, if you will feed on the sheep, if you're operating out of an emptiness pursuit pattern, it's, it's a matter of what you'll do, how you will feed on them, what you will take from them. And um, so I, I, and I've learned that I, I, sometimes I do them both at the same time, uh, in terms of I know I, I'll say something and I'm ministering, but there's this part of me over here that says, oh, I really said that good, and that felt really good because I saw that. And, and I literally <laughs> have to stop in my mind and confess that yeah. because I was using that to feed on the sheep rather than feeding the sheep. So we're this complex mess, that, that, <laughs> and that we'll only understand that as, as if we spend time in the backstage gaining a sense of self-awareness. Mm. And again, that self-awareness without guilt or shame, but with curiosity that allows us to walk with God so God can show us the wounds in our hearts, the ways that we've coped with those wounds and self-protective relational styles that really then manifest as we learn that as children, but we bring that into uh, adulthood and practice that in the church as pastors. Yeah, that's really good. We start finding our identity in what we do instead of who we are in Christ. Amen. And John and I were just talking about this before episode about this op and operating from emptiness, how, you know, at its core, it's, what would you call it, John? Uh, essentially you're trying to, 
to fill the God-shaped hole with something, and it, it, you're filling it with sin. Yeah. Most of the time, it's you know you're 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 recognizing the emptiness. That's not the issue. It's what you're filling the emptiness with. That's the issue. Yeah, and it can be you know um, sex. It can be yeah. um, money. It can be drugs. But it can be ministry. Prestige. Yeah. It could be prestige. Right? Absolutely. Sure. Accomplishments. Yeah. Sure. And, and busyness in ministry gives you prestige. Because mm-hmm. what does it say? You're important. Yep. I got stuff to do. I got stuff to do. I lead a podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Scott, when you were when you were talking about that last week, it it made me think of, you know, if you if you are so incredibly busy and you are, you know, essentially biting off way more than what your mouth can hold, in a sense you know, you're also robbing someone of an opportunity to serve in the body mm-hmm. or to serve the body rather. So, you know, that was, that one hit home for me because it's like all the things that I do in the church, you know, I could be giving that to someone else to serve. Well, and, and we'll end up doing that is because we're living in our own story. Mm-hmm. And, and then that person there exists for me to advance my mission to advance my plot uh, rather than God's. Mm. And so we, we have to, when, we're, when we tend to our, the backstage, we will see more clearly as to how we are living in God's story or our own story. And when we're not tending to the backstage, we will just be blindly living in our own smaller story and using God and using people and using ministry and everything else to, to fill that emptiness so that we will have this sense of adequacy in ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because all of us, uh, we, we were made to be adequate in this world, but because of sin uh, and because we are both agents of sin and victims of sin, none of us are adequate. And, and rather than turning to God to find our adequacy in our, in our idolatrous hearts, we look to ourselves, and we will use God, and we use people to fill that, and and it that that is part of what we become aware of in the backstage. Hmm. So, can you flesh that out a little bit um, with this? What do we do about this, right? So we're not doing, we're not operating off of emptiness because we're prone to it. Yeah. You know, you think of like uh, we talked last week about the Mart Hill podcast. And I loved when I was younger listening to being part of Marcel, not not being part of, but just listening and reading some of those yeah, books. Same. And I stopped listening to Driscoll before all that downfall, but um, just as I grew up. But I remember, like, man, this guy's so busy. He says he reads a book a day. Like, okay, what? You know, like I read like a book a year. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and, That's hard and, enough. And I paid three hundred and fifty dollars for Evelyn Wood speed reading, and yeah. it didn't help me. Yeah. Any. Yeah, you know, I was gonna be facetious. I read more than a book a year, but you know what I mean. Like a book, a, I tried doing a book a week, which is just I couldn't even keep pace. Yeah, still that's that's yeah. pretty aggressive. Yeah, and and, uh, and so you have these mentalities of like like you said, busy, good, more, better, do these things because this is what people see. So how do we? Okay, we have this. We can identify the problem. Emptiness always ends in a you know a horrible. Feeding on wreck. the sheep. Yeah, feeding on the sheep, and it's going to be a train wreck somehow. Mm-hmm. And God will not just, you know, God will not be mocked in those things. So how, how do we fix that? How do we get that? How do we get that fixed? Well, I, I think um, to tend to our souls, um, there are three different kinds of practices that, that we need to involve ourselves okay. in. 
Um, there is the first one is called that I call slowing, and that's really just the door to the backstage. The second one is self-awareness. That's sitting in the backstage. And the third one is surrender. Uh, that is the work of the backstage. So we have to get into the backstage through slowing. We sit in the backstage just to become aware of ourselves, of God, how we've come to see life, our story. And then as we're there, it's not just navel-gazing about, oh, this is, ooh, you know. And, and, and that's a problem with a lot of, uh, of this kind of um, soul care is it becomes just a way of navel-gazing. Yeah. But, but if that's all it is, then it really isn't soul care because soul care has to move me to surrender. Mm. I'm surrendering to God's love what I've come to recognize about how I've come to do life out of this this default operational system that I've developed over the years um, that is called my story. And so I'm surrendering those um, self-protective styles uh, to God. And those self-protective styles are often what makes us good, quote-unquote, as pastors. Uh, Some of those self-protective styles have to do with being nice as a pastor, being nice as a pastor is how I can, you know, if I'm a nice pastor, I can ingratiate myself to you so that nothing is really expected of me. Well, we can't expect the pastor to get it all right. Why? Well, he's such a nice guy, <laughs> you know, so I'll use that niceness to hide my fear of being inadequate and, and that there's something wrong with me that I wasn't loved and I still, I, I'm afraid I won't be. Um, I can use busyness um, where I, I um, achieve and, and I'm managing people by achieving. And so it's, you, you can't look what's inside of me because we're always on the outside going someplace, doing something. You know, I'm a type A personality and this happens to this, this, so you never slow down. And, and a, a busy pastor really uh, lives an unexamined life. And then there is another type of pastor that plays out of our, our um, story, uh, depending on what that was. And it's what we would call an authoritarian pastor, uh, one who's dogmatic. And, and he doesn't look to be loved by being nice or achieving. Uh, he looks simply to survive. Uh, because in his home growing up, it was survival of the fittest. And so he always is looking for somebody to try to take him down. So he's, he's always got to be on top. And so he uses power to intimidate uh, so that people will not get close to him and therefore expose him. Because at his core, um, he feels small and powerless. Uh, but he presents himself as big and powerful. I, I like to say to guys like this is they have a lot of power and they're swinging this big broadsword as a pastor and cutting people's heads off. But what they feel is that they are have this little pen knife and they're just trying to defend themselves. And so uh, a, a pastor that has grown up in, in a home where he had to fight to survive um, will feel very small and very powerless, but people will experience them as intimidating and a lot of times unapproachable. Mm. Well, yeah, those are good. I like those distinctions there. Okay, so then you're you're there. You're in that spot. 
slowing, um, self-examining, surrender? How do, how do you do those things? Yeah, well, slowing, you know, you don't have to jump off the end of the dock. You can, it's a little at a time over the course of your lifetime. Slowing, you can do while you're driving. Instead of listening to a podcast, instead of listening to... Wait, but not this one. Not this one. <laughs> this, this is, is a no different one. Let's just yeah. be really clear on right. this. This one's important. <laughs> That's part of the slowing process, right? Yeah. I'm joking around. <laughs> uh, instead of listening to music, just drive in silence. And just notice the silence. Mm. Um, something else you can do to slow. I, I try to do this once a month, twice a month, um, where I will just go for a walk. And I'll just notice. Uh, not, not with the headphones, nothing. I'll just notice... Uh, the sun, the cold, the wind on my face, the sun on my face. I'll notice what's around me. In other words, just noticing creation and my place in creation and then God's presence with me in his creation. And so it's, I'll go for a 40-minute drive, something like that. Uh, another thing we can do to slow down is turning off the technology. Um, you know, uh, somebody once said that if uh, you can't uh, fast from something, then that thing owns you. And one of the things that I've done on different uh, weekends I do with pastors is to have them shut off their cell phones. And for the first hour or so, it's like they're having, you know, because we're so used to being busy. And I feel guilty. I'm going to miss something. You know, somebody's going to call, and I'm not going to be there. And so we're we're so addicted to technology that prevents us from slowing down, and we don't even realize it. In fact, there's a book that I just started to read the other day. Um, it's called Brainwash. Uh, two words: Brainwash by um, Oh gosh, I forgot the last name. Oh, I didn't bring the book up. Uh, Perlmutter, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Perlmutter, Austin Perlmutter, father and son. Uh, and um, they talk about how technology is actually rewiring our brain. Yep. Where, where we, we are then stuck in this fast pace. And that's why you can slow down on the outside and still feel like you're spinning on the inside. It's because our brain is being rewired to always be in that fight or flight mode. Another thing you can do is stop listening to the news. Um, whether it's liberal, whether it's conservative, whether it's Christian, because it's all uh, aimed at getting uh, hits, getting you know uh, people to listen to them. But to do that, you have to stimulate the amygdala part of your brain that um, is the fight or flight. And, and so you're always in that mode. And after a while, that, that just exhausts you and tears you apart on the inside. So those are three things that you can begin to do. You know, just drive in silence, um, go for walks, and just listen and notice, and 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 um, turn off technology. Hmm. I like that slowing. Okay. So what about self awareness? Well, self awareness. There's a lot of things about self awareness we could talk about, but um, John Calvin said this. He said, "There is no deep knowing of God without a deep knowing of self." And no deep knowing of self without a deep knowing of God. And uh, St. Augustine, he said, uh, Lord, grant uh, that I may know myself so that I might know thee. 
And Thomas Aquinas said something similar. In other words, part of the tradition of, uh, that, that we have been grown up in as, as Christians and pastors has this idea of this interdependence of knowing God and knowing ourselves. We cannot know God without knowing ourselves, and we cannot know ourselves without knowing God. And, and yet we become very good you know, in seminary and as pastors as having knowledge of God, but not having an understanding or knowledge of ourselves. So on the front stage, we're theologically correct, but on the backstage, we're spiritually empty. And, and that produces, uh, again, a dangerous pastor, because we, we will operate then out of this emptiness pursuit pattern that we will then feed on the sheep rather than feeding the sheep. So we, we have to not only seek to know God, but in our seeking to know God, we have to then spend time knowing ourselves. There are three things that are important for us to know about ourselves. Um, we need to know and understand our story. We need to know and understand how we have coped with our story over the years as children. And we need to know how we've taken that coping mechanism uh, from our story into adulthood and how it then presents itself as a pastor. And that then becomes the nice pastor, the busy pastor, the authoritarian pastor. And so that then just takes some time. Knowing our story is, is the default system on, on which uh, we naturally operate. It's, it's a knee-jerk reaction uh, to life. It's... it's it, it involves uh, several things. Our story involves legitimate longings. Um, we all long when we're born and all through life uh, to thrive as a human being, and God has made us to thrive and to flourish. And we thrive through relationship with him and with others. And in this thriving, we all have longings. We all long to be seen Kurt Thomas said, Thompson says, we all come into the world looking for someone who's looking for us. So we all long to be seen. We all long to be soothed. The idea is that when, when something bad happens to me, that there's somebody there that will come and put their arms around me and says, it'll be okay. That pain, you're not alone in pain. Pain can have an end. And we all long to feel safe. And we all long to feel secure. And by secure, it is meant that when I feel safe, I feel secure to go out into the world to make a difference in the world. And so there's a sense of confidence, good, healthy confidence. And, and depending on how those questions are answered and how those, those longings are met, we will either be healthy or unhealthy. And, and so because we all live in a fallen world and we may have good parents or you know, some better than others, but most of them do the best they can, all those longings will be disappointed in some way. And those disappointments will cause us to feel uh, fear. Uh, what if I never have those longings met? And shame. Well, there must be something about me that causes me not to uh, be loved, seen, soothed, and safe like I long to. And, and so that creates that sense of shame. And those feelings the fear and shame are stored in our memory. We then, because we are um, fallen beings who have idolatrous hearts, who will try to make life work without God, 
When that happens, rather than trusting God with that fear and shame, we trust ourselves. And as children, we begin to develop coping mechanisms that are self-protective in nature. This is how I will deal with my fear, and this is how I will deal with my shame so I don't feel it, and so that I can have a sense of love and a sense of adequacy in, a, as a human being. And then as we learn to cope, those coping mechanisms, because they work, follow us into adulthood where they become our, our, our um, default operating uh, mechanism which really is our story. In other words, our story isn't simply the events of our lives. It's how we have unconsciously connected those events to form a message. This is who I am. This is how the world works. This is who God is. This is how the world works. And all those things are there uh, operating in a nanosecond. And, and as I talk to you and as you, I hear what you say, I'm always telling myself a story based on that default system well, the reason he just laughed now is because he thought what I said was stupid. And, and so now that may be true, that it may not be true. But it's the story I'm telling myself, and I will always then react out of that story. Well, then I will just kind of get depressed or you know, try to tell something funnier or whatever it is because I want to get a certain response out of you. And, um, and that's how I can use my niceness or my achieving uh, to, to try to manage you or try to ingratiate you to me. And that then feeds our ministry, and, or the ministry feeds that. And rather than changing, rather than God healing those wounds and, and changing and transforming me, I'm not even aware of them. In fact, the ministry is solidifying them. And rather than being formed more fully into the image of Christ, fully human, now I'm stuck in this, and I don't even know that I'm stuck. Why? Because this is such a natural part of living and seeing life. It's like breathing. It's a knee-jerk reaction to life. It's, it's like asking a fish, what is wet? A fish doesn't know what's wet because he lives in it all the time. And so that then we're not aware of. And so sitting in the backstage, becoming aware of that uh, begins then to allow myself to see how broken I am, how fragmented I am, how I am, rather than loving people and trusting God, I am really about being nice to people and giving, you know, a, a kind of a applause to God. But all at the, at the core is self-protection. So I, I've learned with my wife, um, I can be nice to my wife, and it looks like love, but it can be something other than love. Because if we really believe what the Bible says, how the Bible describes love as a willingness to bleed on behalf of somebody else, I can be nice to my wife up until a point that's going to cause me to have to bleed. And then I can pull back and find reasons and excuses not to do for her what would cause me to bleed. And we can go through life like that, justifying, rationalizing, and never really trusting God at the core of our heart's fears and shame, and, and never really learning to love people. And so that's what happens in the backstage, by, just by sitting. It's, it's sitting and not... And recognizing this, 
not uh, judging myself for it, not trying to fix it. It's just beginning to be aware of it and, and also to sense with that openness to God's grace to be curious. God, show me what's there. And as hard as that is, because it will, it will always want to take us to gray or to guilt and to shame. Because when I go to guilt and shame, now it's about me trying to fix it, rather than sitting with God and just allowing God to to be with God in my brokenness, and in my fragmentation. Mm. Well, that's great. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot to recap, <laughs> but. <laughs> how we're prone to operate off of guilt and shame and God wants us to operate off of love and grace. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and so I love that. Well said. Um, what about the surrender? What does that look like? Well, surrender is the work of the backstage. You know, it's not just enough for me to just say, Oh, I'm really screwed up. And you know, thank God that Jesus died for me. Yeah. yeah, 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 And and here we go. I'll continue to be, you know, a nice pastor or a busy pastor or authoritarian pastor, whatever it might be. Um, surrender is, how, how I like to describe it, is you're standing on a cliff of safety. And the cliff of safety is um, busyness and hurriedness. Because busyness and hurriedness keeps me from having to face my inside, the things that I don't want to look at, that are too scary, too fearful, too shameful. And, and then it are those self-protective patterns that I've learned to use over the years that keep me from trusting God and loving people. And then there are those identities, those pastoral identities, you know, the nice pastor who hides from people, the, the, the busy pastor who manages people, and the, the um, uh, authoritarian pastor who intimidates people. It's looking at those. That's my cliff of safety. That's how I've learned to make life work without God. That's, those are my idolatrous ways of living. But it feels normal. It feels natural. At the bottom of the cliff is the abyss of death. The abyss of death is slowing and stillness. Why? Because that feels like death to slow down. Yeah. It's recognizing my ways of protecting myself, of not trusting God, and, and not loving people. And that creates a feeling of shame. I, I'm not doing it right. I thought I was. But that's, that's the feeling that creates when you begin to see that truth about yourself. And, and then it is beginning to be open to open yourself to being known. Because the danger... The danger in these pastoral identities is not only that people begin to believe, oh, he's a, he's a nice pastor, he's a busy pastor, he's whatever. It's we begin to believe it. And we begin to see ourselves like that. And that then keeps us from really seeing the truth of our brokenness and fragmentation and our need for repentance. And so that's the, the cliff, uh, that's, that's the abyss of death. And we're standing on the cliff of safety with all our idolatrous ways of staying adequate and keeping safe. And God is asking us to jump and to jump into certain death. And the thing that we can never forget is that we are tethered, as we're standing on this, this cliff, we're tethered to the love of God. 
And so when God asks us to jump, to trust me and not yourself to be adequate, he in essence is asking us to surrender to his love. You know, one of the greatest pictures I I saw that my kids used to teach uh, swim lessons and they would tell me how the first thing before you can learn, teach somebody to swim is you have to learn to teach them to float on their back. And they said, the water will hold you if you just surrender to the water, if you just relax. But the moment you tighten your stomach to try to keep yourself up, you begin to sink. And so surrendering to the water means just letting yourself go. Surrendering to God's love is jumping off that cliff. That's also the exercise of faith, and that's also an act of repentance, because you're jumping into this place that you feel you're going to die, and you might get scraped up, and you might get bloodied along the way, but as you're going down right before you hit, what you discover is God's love pulls you tight, and it keeps you from crashing, and you don't die, and that's what I had to learn in surrendering to God's love in terms of my marriage, going to those places where I don't want to see how my wife sees me, and I don't want to have to face that. I don't want to have to face where I failed and and all these things. But as I've gone there, I've learned to trust God, and it's allowed me to trust him in ways I never would have. It's allowed me to see myself in ways, and it's allowed me to experience his love, because the only time you experience his love is not when you're standing on the cliff, with the rope of his love tied around you. He loves you. But it's only when you feel that rope pull tight and you don't die that Mm. you experience his love. And what I found is that what you do is you swing out away from that cliff, and what I like to call it is the adequacy of inadequacy. It isn't that God makes us adequate, so in our adequacy we can then do the work. It's in our inadequacy In our very inadequacy, God makes us adequate so that when I am weak, then I am strong, so that the power then is his power, not mine. Mm. And then as a lamb, I begin to learn I can trust my And now it becomes more about his larger story and me playing a part in it and feeding his sheep and my smaller story, and me being the main character, and using the sheep and using God to feed my emptiness. I love it. I love it. You got to write a book. <laughs> That's really good. Really practical. What a great way to conclude our, you know, our discussion. Uh, these three aspects of slowing, self-awareness, and surrender. Learning your story and how you cope with it, and fear and shame and all of these things, but the surrender of, of the cliff is not a, a, de- a bit abyss of death, but it's a green pasture, right? Yeah. It's a, a water, a living water. It's- but you might get bloodied before you get there. <laughs> and, 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 and if somebody wants to try surrender, jumping off the cliff, here's something that you can do. Um, ask your wife, uh, you know, and ask her to be honest with you, honey, what is it like to be married to me? And let her just talk. And whatever she says, don't correct her. Don't explain yourself. Don't defend yourself. Just listen 
and mirror it back. Oh, so this is what it's like to be married to me. Validate. That must be pretty hard to be married to me. And, and then just stop. You're trusting God by jumping into a place that feels like death, where, where death is any place that you feel inadequate, that you believe God is asking you to go because it's trusting him or it's involved loving another person. Death is a place where you feel inadequate. Like it. Sorry, I'm thinking it about that. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> I was going to say, are we, we going to bring Kelsey on it so you can ask her what it's like? Sure, part to three you? for marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about why Mark is a horrible man. <laughs> no, I'm kidding around. I've actually asked my wife, you know what? That's good. I've actually asked my wife this. We've talked about, not the exact question, but just like, hey, I want you to be able to speak into my life, right? That's, my wife's my biggest confidant. And and we have a great marriage, but like you know, is there something I'm doing that I don't see? I, yeah. I, one of my fears is the blinders that they see people. Like, man, how does you not see how silly and dumb you look right now? And and it's like, man, I don't want that for me. And how we easily can do that. And so, not quite the exact question, but I've asked that, and it's like you just got to be like you said, vulnerable. No defense, no. Well, I'm going to make you pay you back later for this. Let me tell you about now. Here's my list of all my things for you. It's just that jumping off and surrendering. I really like that. That's a whole podcast episode in itself. Yeah, and everything inside you is going to want to respond back. Defend. And want to defend. Yeah. And, and that's that part of you that God is asking you surrender that energy to him. Mm. Because that's all part of the story that I've learned over the years. This is how I have to present myself. This is how I have to be in order to be seen, in order to be uh, soothed, in order to be safe, in order to yeah. be secure. Yep. Love it. Scott, so glad you're here. Thanks for taking the time to be part of this episode. If you haven't been to one of his Lunch and Learns for Barnabas, sign up for that. You can learn more about Scott's ministry at Awakened Hearts Ministries. Mm -hmm. Uh, you Google that. Yeah, AHM, the number four dot life. HM four dot life. So Awaken Hearts Ministry, AHM four dot, dot life. life. Yep. That's that's our website. All right, AHM four dot life. We'll put that on our. Yeah, we'll make sure to put that in the, the show description. Yep. Um, any real quick here, just a minute, 30 seconds. Any resources you would suggest for our listeners? Yeah, um, first of all, uh, Waking Heart, uh, we, we yep. have a good resource for men. You know, if guys, if pastors are looking for stuff for their men, men's groups, uh, we, we have that. Um, for pastors, every third uh, Thursday um, from uh, 10.30 to 12, we have a pastor soul care group at our office on uh, Troy and Big Beaver in the uh, PNC building, first floor. And uh, we also do story weekends for men and for pastors, uh, which is a, a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And for pastors, we could do, we've done it on a, a Monday, Tuesday, and a Wednesday, where you go and you share your story and begin to become, have a sense of self-awareness about how you've uh, shaped and formed your story in ways that you're not even aware of. Mm. And, um, and then we also have a, a pastor's um, slowing slash silence uh, retreat weekend 
where we come and just uh, practice some of the, these different uh, slowing self-awareness and surrendering exercises. And what we do on our, our, our pastors once a month is it's about giving guys just the time to slow down, to gain some self-awareness and some things to surrender. Love it. Yeah, so Awaken Hearts Ministries, it's A-H-M-4. That life. That life. There you go. <laughs> you got to repeat it over and over Thank and over. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and some maybe some written resources. Uh, one book called The Spiritual Disciplines Handbook by Adadale uh, Calhoun. Uh, that would be worth picking up. Uh, uh, another one by Martin Laird. Uh, it's called Into the Silent Land. Into the Silent um, Land. A guide for Christian uh, practice of contemplation. I've read that book like three times, and yeah. it, it really is about slowing and about stillness and silence. And that's something that, that's been all always a part of the Christian tradition, but we've really kind of lost it today in the evangelical church. And so that really is, that, that's, that's worth its weight in gold. Um, another book that I would, uh, can't recommend enough, I give this to all the guys that, that I work with, uh, it's called The Gift of Being Yourself by David Benner. Uh, somebody gave that book years ago to me, and I, I had that book on my shelf like three years before somebody, he said, hey, did you ever read that book? And I said, No. <laughs> And the reason I didn't read it is because when I saw the name of it, the title, uh, The Gift of Being Yourself, I thought, what a narcissistic title. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, and so I, I ended up reading it because I felt guilty, you know. And when I read it, it was, it was just one of those kind of life-changing books. Mm. And it's one of those books you just read a couple pages and you meditate on. And uh, so th- those are three good books if you have some extra money uh, to uh, to purchase some resources that would be worth their purchase. Awesome. Again, thanks for being here, Scott. Um, I just want to sign off here. And uh, Streamers is a production of Barnabas Ministries. You can learn more at barnabasministriesmi.org. That's barnabasministriesmi.org. We're so glad you joined us for this podcast episode. Uh, if you find this podcast is helpful or you've learned anything, we'd love for you to subscribe. We release an episode every Monday morning. Stream Roots, drawing deep from the living water of God's Word.